Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. Joining me today, as always, is Luke Boggs. Luke, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Happy to have you back from all your gallivanting around the United States. Feels like it's been been a while. Yeah, you've been traveling a little bit, but I've been traveling a lot. Um, what have you learned in real America, Kyle? I don't know. The desert's pretty cool. And I enjoyed it actually much more than I did keeping up with the David Perdue, Brian Kemp primary campaign. But what I found out in coming back after being gone for so long is that things change, but things mostly stay the same. So that's kind of the theme of the show today. Yeah. Well, let's, let's see just how the same they are, I guess. Yeah. So the big thing that's happened in the last week or so is that uh, Governor Kemp and former Senator Perdue, they've had their first big primary debate. Um, As you remember, David Perdue has launched a challenge against Brian Kemp, largely arguing that Brian Kemp failed Republicans by not calling a special session to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Yes, we're still talking about that. And in fact, for the first 30 minutes of the debate between Kemp and Perdue on Sunday night, that was all they talked about. Basically, David Perdue from the jump said that the election in 2020 was rigged and stolen from Republicans and that uh, Brian Kemp played a central role in all of that, and that because of Brian Kemp's failure to overturn the election in favor of Donald Trump and in favor of David Perdue, that's the reason the Democrats have made a mess in Washington and all of those problems from inflation to rising gas prices to the war in Ukraine, all of that is actually Brian Kemp's fault. Um, In fact, let me... We don't have the audio from the debate, but the this ad from Purdue uh, that he put out right before the debate was basically his opening statement in the debate. Let's listen to David Purdue make this case himself. Illegals flooding our border, skyrocketing gas prices, crippling inflation, the brink of war. Folks, that all started right here when Brian Kemp sold us out and allowed radicals to steal the election. Kemp is just another establishment politician who fought Trump. Enough is enough. I'll make sure our elections are never stolen again. We'll eliminate the state income tax and stop the woke mob from indoctrinating our kids. It's time to fight back. Luke, uh, David Perdue has this bit. He is fully committed to the bit. He has built his campaign around this bit. Is it working for him? Uh, According to every poll I've seen, it's not. And uh, I mean, it's just... It's so bizarre to me because maybe, you know, the rose-colored glasses of remembering 2014 as my first, you know, Georgia local campaign that I got really involved in and David producing to be better at this than he seems to be now. Uh, or maybe he just has better, I mean, worse advisors. I don't know what it is, but it's just this. I, from the get-go... I'm going to do my best to not repeat my own stick and my own, you know, my own uh, routine that I usually do when we talk about this. But it's just like David Perdue had an opportunity to make an argument against Brian Kemp that potentially could have resonated with Republican primary voters and the general election voters of Georgia. And he seems to have found a message that resonates with neither. And I think it's because of the fact that he approaches it in this ridiculously hyperbolic way especially because he's blaming brian kemp for all these things that have happened since the 2020 election without acknowledging 
the cold hard fact that even if Brian Kemp somehow could have magically given Georgia's 16 electoral votes to Donald Trump, that the president would be Joe Biden because Donald Trump lost badly in 2020 and that the state of Georgia alone would not have given him the presidency. And so I, you know, it's it just, and, and people aren't dumb. Like voter, if people say, and I've said, and I regret it, <laughs> but people say that voters are dumb and they're really not. They're not that dumb. It's, you know, voters can get whipped up into a frenzy and get angry about something. But, you know, this is one of those situations where I think the electorate in Georgia is obviously looking at these issues very differently than people and including myself would expect. And they're, I don't know if they agree with Purdue, but they like Kemp for other reasons or they don't agree with him because it, I mean, it's, it's difficult. And what I find interesting is, uh, on April 25th, 2020, the, uh, fine university of Georgia, which we were both proud alums did a, a poll of the Republican primary electorate. And, they asked a couple questions I think are relevant to this race first, and I think this is probably the most dramatic number, which was, uh, all in all, do you think, that, so this is the exact uh, question, all in all, do you think things in the nation are generally heading in the right direction, or do you think things are off in the wrong track? And 93.7% uh, of people said it was in the wrong track. But then contrast this to now in reference to Georgia specifically, do you think things in the state are generally heading in the right direction, or do you think things are in the uh, off on the wrong track? And it's 48.3% right direction, uh, 33 uh, wrong track. And then finally, there's a question on how uh, overall, how confident are you that this year's elections will be conducted fairly and accurately? And somewhat confident is 41.8%, very confident 18 not so confident, 25.9, and not at all confident, 12.6. And this is, again, this is a Republican primary poll. And so there aren't that many Republicans who seem to be very, very worried about how secure elections are in Georgia. And, I mean, they didn't ask any follow-up questions or the you know question of do you think the election in uh, 2020 was stolen from Donald Trump, but it's it's just clear that out of everything that's going on, Georgians aren't buying that Brian Kemp is responsible for everything <laughs> that's going wrong in the country right now. And, you know, maybe I'm, in, you know, implying a little bit too much from this poll, but everyone seems to be very, very worried about how things are doing in the country in this poll of Republican voters, but they feel pretty good about how Georgia's going. And since Brian Kemp is the governor of Georgia, I'm assuming they're giving him a lot of credit for that. And it, it just seems like voters are not making the connection that David Perdue is desperately trying to make for them. And I think that really just comes back to what my brilliant strategy was that David Perdue should have adopted of like finding some things other than the election to really attack Brian Kemp on because he has adopted what I thought had, you know, thought from the beginning would be the absolute worst strategy he could adopt, which is Brian Kemp's pretty fine on everything. And that's the implication by him never talking about anything else that Brian Kemp did, but he screwed us over on the election. We're Republicans. We should always support Republicans, ride or die. 
elect me because I will do that. And I just think there's enough voters who are happy enough with how Brian Kemp is running things and recognize the truth of the matter that even if Brian Kemp had done more in the election, it probably would not have made Donald Trump president. And it's it's just it's just not working for him. And I'm not surprised that Purdue has not gotten out of this mode because it just seems to me ever since he you know, John Ossoff had the audacity to not just coordinate David Perdue as Senator for life of Georgia. He's just been on this pissed off tour where he's like, I'm having to talk to voters again. I'm having to argue things again. And you're not just appointing me to these positions that I obviously am well qualified for and should have. And it's just, it's a very condescending tone that I just think voters don't like, especially in comparison to Brian Kemp, who, for all of his faults, is very folksy and very likable on a personal level. Level, If you've ever met Brian Kemp, he's very nice to you, and he makes you feel, you know, like he cares. <laughs> now, is he, you know, the best at, uh, uh, you know, pursuing policies? That's a whole different story. But, it, yeah, that's not what this, this um, election's about for anyone. Yeah, like, I think that the whole grudge match issue and like writing the wrong of 2020, I think most Republican primary voters, according to this polling and according to the response to David Perdue's campaign, most of Georgia's Republican primary voters just don't seem to be in on it. Don't seem to be all that upset. Seems like they're ready to turn the page on 2020. And I I think part of the reason that may be is because Georgia was so central to this mess for Republicans that I think Republican voters are more willing to sort of let that go and move on. Like it, it was David Perdue's failure and Kelly Leffler's failure that are the reason the Democrats are in control. The Senate in Washington, Joe Biden flipped Georgia for the first time in, uh, you know, over what, four decades, three decades. Can't do my math going first time since 1992. And so like, Georgia Republicans themselves have had a front row seat to what a disaster this has been. And I think they're probably more willing to blame Donald Trump for having lost those seats and in Trump's own loss in this state. And, and I, I, I don't think they're sort of blindly following on this revenge tour. And that's why I think it's just kind of fallen flat to me. It looks a little embarrassing on David Perdue's part because like he was a U.S. Senator, one of the more powerful senators in the U.S. Senate for a first-termer at least, you know, particularly when he was in the Senate and, and Trump was president. And you've fallen so far to running this, like, embarrassing uh, long-shot campaign. I don't know. It just, it 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 looks pathetic to me, to be honest. Well, I, I agree, and that's why, you know, I really didn't think he was going to do it because I, I just assumed if he for lack of a better phrase, half-assed it like he did the 2020 race that it would turn out like this. And I I, I don't know, maybe he doesn't care. <laughs> you know, maybe he was like, if I do this, Donald Trump will stop calling me and asking me to do it. Um, or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, where his head's at on it. But if anything else, it, it, it just goes to show that it's hard to make an election about something 
that happened two years ago. And it's especially hard to make an elect, you know, win an election running on something that happened two years ago when you're arguing, you know, for something that didn't happen. Now, just because Republican primary voters are not in on this revenge tour campaign, it doesn't mean that they are sort of acknowledging that their party needs to move closer to the center or recognize that Georgia is a more competitive state. Um, in fact, in interviews since the legislative session, uh, Republican candidates for office, including Butch Miller, who's the Senate, Senate state Senate pro tem um, and is a candidate for lieutenant governor, he and other Republicans have been boasting about how conservative this legislative session was. Um, so they ended the requirement that you would have to have a state permit to be able to carry a firearm, a, a policy that they call constitutional carry. They were successful on that. They were successful on at least attempting to ban the participation in sports of transgender athletes. Um, they kicked that decision to the High School Athletic Association, but they did pass last-minute legislation that would um, at least consider that ban. They cut the state income tax. They banned the discussion of divisive concepts in classrooms, their their critical race theory uh, obsession that they've had, and they've and they passed legislation to allow the GBI to investigate election fraud allegations. Um, there, despite the fact that Georgia is a state Joe Biden won, is a state that has two Democratic U.S. senators, Republicans have fully embraced that the way for them to win in 2022 is to fully embrace their conservative agenda. And they had one of the more conservative legislative sessions that we've seen in the last decade or so in this state. What did you think of that dynamic? Because I think there were some who thought, you know, maybe they need to move to the middle. Maybe they need to acknowledge that there is competition and they clearly feel differently about that. I think this is a very clear sign that the governor's name is Brian Kemp and that taking Trump and the 2020 election off the table, this makes a lot of sense as what Brian Kemp would want to campaign on because he's always been a conservative firebrand type of politician and he's always been closely aligned with the Republican base. And these are typically the types of issues he liked to campaign on when he was Secretary of State and when he ran for governor. And so to me, it's not surprising. And as we've talked about a lot, Georgia is a very inelastic state. There are not that many swing voters. It's really two bases that are competing for turnout. Uh, and to be fair to Brian Kemp, looking at 2016 and 2018, and even 2020 and the runoff to extent, there's there's it makes sense. The strategy makes sense because the elections that they won Georgia, it was based off of getting insanely high conservative turnout because I think what all of these elections have revealed is that both parties in Georgia left a lot of votes on the table in 20 in really every election before 2016 and in 2016 we saw a whole ton of new republican voters in 2018 we saw a lot of new democratic voters and those 2016 new republican voters still basically showed up and then 2020 we saw a bunch of new voters on both sides again and i think the real takeaway they have the republicans have from these different election results 
if we turn out our base, we will win. And we don't even have to worry about persuasion. The only thing we have to worry about is surviving our primaries. And, you know, for, for Brian Kemp, that looked like it's been successful. Uh, and for Brad Raffensperger, who has been campaigning on a lot of very conservative issues uh, throughout session, and now in the post-session period, he's doing pretty well. Uh, you know, kind of in line with the lack of buy-in Republican voters have on the revenge tour for, uh, you know, Brian Kemp, we had Brad Raffensperger in that same uh, UGA poll at 28.1%. Jody Heiss is at 26.4%. There's a couple people, including David, By uh, well, two other folks are running. David Bell Isle, who ran in 2018, uh, is running again. Uh, he has 4.7%. TJ Hudsonson has 3.5. And, you know, the winner of the election is undecided <laughs> with 37.3. Um, and and I, I think this just shows me that to the Republicans who are paying attention and know who all these people are, Brad Raffensperger has done enough to keep them, uh, keep a lot of them on board. Uh, and, you know, typical of down ballot races, a lot of voters just don't know who these people are. And so, you know, that, that kind of tells me two things is one, this is not even in the Republican primary voter universe, which is typically a pretty tuned in to conservative, uh, ideas and cause celeb Raffensperger, despite his outspoken opposition to Trump and his attempts to overturn the election has done enough on these conservative red meat issues to have a decent support among Republicans still, and that Jody Heiss campaigning pretty much solely on the fact that Brad Raffensperger did not, you know, do what Donald Trump wanted him to do has not convinced the entire Republican base to vote for him. And so it seems to me that this calculation that they have adopted for the primary is holding true and that it has reassured Republican voters that the incumbents are you know, viable and they don't have to throw all the bums out. And so what I think will be interesting to see is if in the last, you know, couple months, well, no last months, uh, of the campaign, if that holds true and that's able to pull out a victory for, uh, Raffensperger and Kemp. And then what will be even more interesting is if, any of these issues that they campaign so hard on for their primaries come back to bite them in the general elections. Uh, but that would require the Democratic Party to break through, which, <laughs> boy, have we had trouble uh, making any any news on any of our campaigns. Yeah, I want to I get to that here in a second, because actually the message that did break through is probably the one Democrats might regret the most. Um We'll get to that here in a second, but it is interesting looking across these three most high-profile Republican primary fights, governor's race, lieutenant governor's race, secretary of state's race, that all of the Trump-backed candidates are hovering right at about 26, 27 percent in, in all of their races, but in the governor's race that puts Kemp behind, that puts Purdue behind Kemp 53, 27 in the Secretary of State's race that puts Jody Heiss right in a dead heat with Brad Raffensperger. Interestingly, in the race that I guess is probably the least visible to Republican primary voters right now, that actually puts the Trump-backed candidate, Burt Jones, 
with a pretty significant lead among, at least among people who have an opinion, he's up on Butch Miller, the state Senate pro tem, he's up 27-14, but 52% of voters polled about that race don't know. And so in some sense, it looks like the, to the extent that you're tying your campaign most visibly to Trump's grievance, it's earning you maybe a third, to be generous, a third of the Republican primary vote right now. Um, But for other people who who may not be as invested in this, you know, that message of uh, standing up for Trump may not be all that persuasive to Republican voters who at this point have not formed an opinion. Um, So I guess that, you know, at least in this polling, roughly Trump's cap of fully dedicated support is about a third. Which, which I will admit is very pleasantly surprising. (laughs) You know, it's like, I, I, I was trying to think about this and, you know, it's so easy to, you know, say something sarcastic or, you know, be spiking the football that Trump is doing, Quarreling his crusade against the Georgia Republican Party, but it's like you know this is just a good thing. This is good. I'm happy that just campaigning against you know campaigning on Trump's grievance is not enough to win a Republican primary in Georgia. At least as of now, you know, of course, there's a month left and something could change, but that that has been a very pleasant surprise to me. And I also just find it interesting that the really the only candidate that Trump has backed in Georgia who's doing incredibly well is Herschel Walker. And I think that really has to do more with the fact that his name is Herschel Walker than uh, the, you know, things that he's been in quotation fingers campaigning on. Um, Because frankly, I have not seen anything, any activity from Herschel Walker besides the fact that he, had an announcement video and I've seen a couple yard signs, which means generally nothing, but um, it, it's just interesting to me that in this poll, he has 65.9% and uh, 22.9% are undecided. And the next closest person is Gary Black, who has 6.7%. Uh, and I, I, I think the really sad, but just interesting thing here is that the candidate that I have heard the most about in this race and have actually met supporters of is Latham Sagler, who only has 1.9%. So I'm pretty sure I have met every single Latham Sagler supporter in the state of Georgia because I've seen so many people who like him uh, and who have his bumper stickers. So I'm pretty sure I know everyone supporting him. When he's got yard signs, my totally anecdotal and totally useless analysis of, of yard signs from driving back from Florida last weekend, I came up through, you know, from up I-75 at the southern border of the state and went all the way back through Athens, all the way back to Athens. So through a lot of very rural, very Republican areas of our state, I saw a lot of signs for Gary Black. I saw a good number of signs for Latham Sadler. Did not see a single sign for, oh, I even saw signs for Kelvin King, who's the other Republican in that Senate race and did not see signs for Herschel Walker. Obviously that doesn't matter as it relates to the polls. Um, but I, the only conclusion I maybe came away with from that, given all the criticism from Herschel's Republican opponents about him not debating about him, not really being engaged in this race. Um, and all of the sort of looming negative stories about Herschel, I wonder if Republicans are going to find themselves in a position in November realizing that, yes, 
They have Herschel Walker, former football star here in Georgia. That obviously means a lot. But how strong, how dedicated are Herschel's supporters actually to him, especially if he faces a lot of negative stories and negative criticism from Democrats in the general, because he is getting that from his Republican primary opponents, but none of it's breaking through because every time you see a criticism of Herschel Walker made by Gary Black or Latham Sadler or whoever, the next sentence is always, but well, but Herschel's up by 50 in the polls. So what does it really matter? <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I think that his giant league is actually covering up something. And I think the media has been blinded by it a little bit because I think it, people make impressions very easily. And it, I think most voters, when they hear Herschel Walker, they immediately think mega success football star and not all the complicated business records and domestic violence allegations and mental health issues. And I think people see that polling number and they're like, well, I guess it doesn't matter. And so they, they, they take it for granted that this stuff might eventually break through and hurt him. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. <laughs> I was listening to uh, Chuck Todd's podcast and he actually suggested the fact that Herschel Walker may win the primary and then eventually be replaced because he's going to be such a dug of a candidate, which uh, I, I think it's just worth mentioning as a possibility because <laughs> I, you know, that that would make us, uh, you know, ha- give us a lot to talk about. So if, if that happens, we'll be here with breathless coverage. But I, I'm a little skeptical. I, I kind of think they're going to ride the Herschel Walker train to uh, whatever station it takes them to. Moving away from this poll, though, I do just want to point out one, well, two things. One, yes, I I know statistics and I recognize that the Secretary of State's race is so close that the difference between the two numbers is not statistically significant. But my ba- my bigger point is the fact that uh, I'm I was genuinely surprised that Raffensperger and Joey Heiss would be neck and neck. I I kind of thought Heiss would be way ahead just because Raffensperger had waffled somewhat on his conviction on the the election and I, I thought that would hurt him more and didn't and then the other thing is a small criticism of our our beloved university why the heck in the cross tabs do they have minority instead of breaking down the minorities uh i understand that it's only 4.4 percent but still you, 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 you <laughs> it should, is a poll of republican primary i mean voters. still still like are they black or Could asian be a sample size I, w- I want to know i want to know uga i don't care if it's two people <laughs> i still want to know but yeah that 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 that's it i'm done with this poll let's move on <laughs> well let's talk about the democrats here and um i initially when i was thinking about this we were going to talk about at least in my view how disappointing this ad was, but I think actually the larger disappointment for Democrats in this ad that we're about to play from our uh, Senator Raphael Warnock, the disappointing thing is that this is the ad that broke through and this is what everyone was talking about. Uh, Let's listen to how Raphael Warnock describes himself. It's not magical. I'm Raphael Warnock. I'm a dad, a senator, a pastor, but a magician? I'm not. So in just a year in the Senate, did I think I could fix Washington? Of course not. But every day I focused on what I could do for our state, creating jobs, fixing infrastructure, expanding healthcare. I approve this message because that's not magic, that's doing the job for Georgia. Luke, it's not so much that the entire ad is bad, but 
he did a good enough job painting a picture of himself as not a magician and sort of saying, this is a mess and it's not my fault, that that is what everyone who talked about this ad in the last week or so since it's been out, that's what everybody latched onto. And nobody had anything to say about the back half of the ad where he talks about creating jobs, expanding healthcare, the good things that he's done that he says are is what you do when you're doing the job for Georgia. What what was your reaction to this ad? I think it's fine. Like I think people are overblowing this significantly because Warnock's whole brand and why I think people find him very likable is that he talks like a normal person and you know the impulse to say that this is stupid or it's desperate i just i i just don't get it because the point of this ad is acknowledging the true fact that he while is he has been a us senator he has not been one for long <laughs> and it, you know in the same way that kelly loffler had to run for uh election since she was appointed uh very very early in her term he's just acknowledging the fact that unlike what you're used to with U.S. senators, I don't have a big giant resume to run on and I haven't been able to fix everything. But look at all this other great stuff I actually have been able to make progress on. And I just think it's it's in his brand because his ads are lighthearted and personable and funny. And I think he was trying to be funny here. And he didn't offend anyone. And, you know, maybe magicians <laughs> are offended. But as far as like, oh, like, you know, ads that deserve a lot of criticism i just think this one's fine and there's nothing wrong with it and um i just don't you think though i mean is there a problem with the fact that he put out this ad and all people talked about was this is him backing away from his message in 2020 that a storm of change is coming and the message that democrats have sent to their voters to thank them for showing up to vote on runoff day which is you changed Georgia so that the Democrats in Washington could change America. Yeah. I think, I think the part, the expectations were set pretty high. Yeah. And I think the bigger problem with the ad on that front is that the tag really should have been something along the lines of, Hey, I've done some good stuff. Elect me again. I'll keep working on some good, you know, keep doing good stuff. Uh, because that's the connection I think is missing here. It's not that, Hey, I was elected U.S. Senator and found out it was really hard to fix all of America's problems in a year. Uh, you know, reelect me and I'll I'll do fine. It's it's more of a, you know, we have started to make progress on all the goals that you elected uh, me to do, and now it's time to reelect me so I can keep making progress and don't throw me out just because I haven't fixed everything in a very short amount of time. You know. I just think people are overreacting and overinterpreting this hag because and it's it's very frustrating because it's a joke. It's obviously an ad that's supposed to make people say, "Ha, that Raphael Warnock guy's kind of funny and he understands that things cuz cuz the, the this is the bigger thing that I think this ad hits on that I think is super important that I don't know why people are ignoring probably because you get less clicks this way. That's way. But the bigger thing that this ad is acknowledging is that things kind of suck right now. 
And Democrats, I think, are particularly bad at admitting that when they're in control of things. We all, and, and it's a natural impulse. You want to go out there and be able to campaign on. Look at all these jobs that have been created under the Biden administration, and look at, you know, how much workers are being paid more, and you know, all all the good things that are happening. But there's a ton of really bad things happening too. And you know, to to me, I think it is him trying to do a responsible thing in setting the expectations a little bit more appropriately that this is going to be a fight and it's going to be a slog, but some good things can still happen in the, you know, journey towards the promised land that was promised to us in the runoff election. And I, I don't think it's an abandonment of anything as much as it is a little bit of expectation setting and leveling with voters that, you know, I am not a magician. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to magically fix everything. It's just, it's going to be a struggle. So the other thing that I think, because I think, you know, I might be a little more forgiving if this was sort of an off the cuff remark that got a lot of attention, but it was an ad. The point of ads is to draw attention to your campaign and encapsulate what your message is in the 30 seconds or whatever you give to the ad. And Patricia Murphy made this point on the AJC's podcast that like to some extent one individual ad doesn't mean all that much because Warnock has so much money that he can go up on the air with ads consistently all the time all the way from now until election day. So like if there's one ad that misses the mark that's okay. But I think this ad which we'll play here in a second doesn't even really acknowledge anything about you know, like what the expectation was following the runoff, what the reality is now, but it just stakes a definitive position for Raphael Warnock on an issue that a lot of people care about right now. Supply chain problems. Supply chain Bottom Supply chain Supply chain crisis. You heard enough about it. But what if I told you shipping container companies have been making record profits while prices have been skyrocketing on you? That's why I'm pushing to hold them accountable. It's time we investigate their greed and crack down on the price gouging to help lower costs for families and small businesses. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message because I'm working for Georgia. The one place where if I'm Democrats right now, I might push is on laying out your agenda for what you will do without necessarily giving a lot of context because I think one thing that Democrats can look at Republicans and say right now is you look at Kemp and Purdue, you look at most of the Republican primaries, primaries that are going on, a lot of what is being talked about by candidates on that side of the aisle are things that are not very high on people's priority lists. But all of the issues that are very high on people's priority lists are the kinds of things that are not reflecting well on Democrats right now. And so to lean directly into that and to say, this is a problem and I'm going to act, that to me, I think being really direct about what you will do, I think that there can be a lot of power in that right now because Democrats have a lot of runway to make that argument freely. And Republicans are going to say, oh, all these things are bad because they're, you know, because Democrats are in power. But Republicans aren't saying what they're going to do about inflation. Republicans aren't saying what they're going to do about improving the state of the economy or continuing to recover from COVID. They're just saying that all those things are Democrats fault. 
and that's the place where I think the whole, are you having to go back and reset expectations on your own election? Like doing that in an ad, I think is just kind of a waste of time, but going directly at an issue that is very high profile and definitively saying what you would do on that issue, I think could be valuable for Democrats in this moment. Yeah. Well, my response to that, Kyle, is that sounds great, but every day for about a two week period, when I opened Instagram, the third thing I would see was Raphael Warnock talking about the bill he introduced to lower the you need to get you know to to temporarily stay the um, gas tax or suspend the gas tax. I'm thinking in lawyer terms with stay, but anyway, you know, and I saw that ad literally every day, multiple times a day. And I only watched it once, <laughs> once I realized who it was, and no one ever talked about it. I didn't see any stories about it. And so, to some extent, I give Warnock credit for accomplishing something that no other Democrat has in the state of Georgia, which is making some news. And so, on that front, he, I think this is a great ad, because now we're actually talking about Raphael Warnock, and other people are too. And I think it's that's how you accidentally fall into thinking about someone because again he managed to make an ad that you know made some people feel iffy about you know about his messaging but the real gist of the ad i think for the average voter is that he's kind of likable and funny and even if it's bad dad humor it's still humor and it's it's something that i think leaves a positive impression with most voters and especially compared compared to what I think will be coming in a campaign between Warnock and um, Walker, him ha- building up that likability is going to be very valuable. And so even if this is not the message that makes the Twitter bots happy, I think it is a good ad overall long-term for him because it's hitting on where I think his strengths are, especially compared to uh, Walker. And even if it didn't work exactly the way that they wanted it to, I think the fact that we're talking about it, other people are talking about it. And if you see the ad, which I'm sure more people will because of the fact that people are, are dunking on it, you do actually get an impression of the work, what he's been focused on and the bills that he's pursued and what issues he cares about. And so it might not all be bad uh, at the end of the day for them and, uh, I again, I, I I'm just happy that a Democrat has done something that has made someone in the media pay attention to them. So Warnock obviously got some attention for that ad looming sort of above all of this um, is Stacey Abrams, particularly she's looming above the fray uh, between Brian Kemp and David Perdue. Her one of her ads was the first thing that WSB TV viewers saw right after the uh, debate on Sunday night, where she talked about um, working with a business partner to start businesses. One of her businesses is like an incubator for other small businesses, helping them connect to funding. And she has sort of leaned into both a return to focus on Medicaid expansion and the sort of broadly appealing description of her business background and her attempts to help other businesses grow. But at the same time, to your point, Luke, that is something that, you know, feels like something that's said been said before 
I mean, something that has not garnered a lot of attention individually on Abrams herself. Um, where do you think Stacey Abrams fits into all this as we're you know one month away from primary day? I will say I've seen that ad now every day for the past two weeks. So, you know, two weeks before that was the Warnock ad. And I, I'm so tired of seeing that because <laughs> it's the same one every time. But, you know, taking my personal grievance aside, um, I, I think so. The thing I will say that I like about this ad is that it is trying to introduce Georgians to Stacey Abrams and to some of the work she's been doing and get a different impression of her and she's moved away significantly I think from her time as minority leader as a campaigning point and is more trying to highlight her non-government experience that qualifies her for the role of governor and you know it's the I've done the work I want the job idea uh presented in a much less annoying way <laughs> uh and I I think that is better as an angle uh, for her than some of the things I've been so critical about of her just relitigating what she campaigned on in 2018. And so competition, you know, breeds attention. And there's a reason why we've heard so much more about Kemp versus Purdue because that's where the fireworks have been and that's where the fight is and the deadline for that fight is coming up very very quick whereas these other line you know these other fights don't really even get started until November you know until um after May and potentially uh after July when the runoffs are so I'm hoping that just naturally there's going to be more attention paid to both Warnock and Abrams after that point because they don't really have primaries. I know Abrams doesn't have anyone running against her, and Warnock only has, you know, a token opposition of someone who's has no chance of forcing him into any real competition, and that's just not very interesting to write stories about. And so, I'm hoping that Abrams is raising the money like Warnock is, has been raising, that she keeps putting these ads in my feed and keeps annoying the crap out of me so that I get positive impressions of her. Because even in the split couple seconds that I see that ad before I skip it for the you know, tenth time, I see Stacey Abrams looking happy with another person and it just like is subliminally putting positive impressions of her in my brain. Like I know that's what's happening and I'm sure that's happening to other people too. And so when, you know, Brian Kemp inevitably, you know, wins against Purdue and turns on Abram, his attention on Abrams is talking about how she's an evil socialist who wants to destroy all of our valuable capitalist institutions. She has this ad out there talking about her being a successful business person and starting a bunch of small businesses. So it is smart. And it's one of those things that if people are seeing it as much as I'm seeing it, as much as we don't want to watch that ad, the message of that ad is being implanted in my brain. Because even though I've only watched it once or twice to get to the point where like I actually know what the ad's about, since I keep seeing the beginning of it, it keeps reminding me of the fact that she had this small business with this nice woman, and she likes her and thinks she should be governor, and they did all these great things, and 
I, I just I can't imagine the effect of that is none. Like I imagine that is actually going to be a pretty decent, you know, argument for her to raise up against Kemp when he inevitably says she's a crazy socialist who wants the government to run our lives. She can say, "No, I'm not. I started all these small businesses, and I, you know, did this and that, and you know, rem <laughs> remember my ag, basically." Uh, and, and and voters will, and they'll be like, "Oh yes, I remember seeing that ad." 5,000 times, you know, maybe Stacey Abrams isn't a socialist that, that, so maybe she's doing what she should be. Yeah. And I, I think that comes back to the fact that both her and Warnock is probably the most competitive governor's race in the country and maybe the most important Senate race in the country. They're going to have endless amounts of money. Um, they, they will have the opportunity to deliver their message repeatedly. Um, even if it's one that doesn't, necessarily land them often on the front page of the AJC. Um, well, with that, we are going to leave it there for today. Uh, we'll be back to cover this more as we get closer to primary season. But for now, we will leave it there. Take care, y'all. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.